Welcome back to another episode of Not All at Once. I'm Jordan Guest. And I'm Kendall Y. Welcome back, everyone. We are recording one day late today, July 22nd. Um, that is Jordan's fault, my fault. Um, so had we're a little also, bit of... We're oh, also recording at 4 p.m. on a Friday, which is <laughs> like... I was like, you know, this is usually when the weekend starts, but right. Here we are. <laughs> yeah, Kendall's got his his black tea. I've got a beer lined up, maybe. <sighs> Not actually. Maybe a little bit later on. But yeah, yeah, a little bit of trouble this week with the airlines. It, you know, it's funny. I'm gonna try to find the uh, Wall Street Journal article. Um because it was so funny. I was like there was something that had happened with the airlines negatively for me. And then the notification hit my phone from the wall street journal and it, the headline was something to the degree of um, why airlines stink right now, something like that. And it was just perfectly timed. What happened? But, like you had flight delays or just baggage problems. So the first one, so I've been in, I've been in Florida for the past month ish or well, not really like three weeks or something like that. And Got back yesterday. We'll talk about yesterday just briefly, but the main one was on Monday. Uh, this you know this week I was supposed to fly to Dallas, and uh, we were meeting with the Texas Blockchain Council to uh, essentially pick their brain about um, best practices for a new association that's going to be coming online for the southeastern part of the United States, uh, Southeastern Blockchain Association. So. Anyways, I get to the airport at like, um, I don't know, like six o'clock or something, six in the morning. And it's supposed to fly out about seven fifteen or something. And, um, and they had delayed my flight almost four hours. So I was supposed to be, and then I put me into Dallas about one o'clock when the meeting started at 11. So Yikes. yeah, wasn't going to be good. So anyways, just, and they didn't have any options. And so had a, a very sad Uber back to, back to the house. <laughs> I didn't have the guts to call my father-in-law and say, Hey, will you turn around and, and come back and get me? <laughs> so I just called an Uber. Whatever, I, didn't speak, so, I didn't speak to the Uber driver. I was so upset. Yeah. That's, that's unfortunate. That's sad. Whenever, so did, whenever that happens, do you get like a refund on your airline ticket? Yeah, they just are going to refund. I, I booked it with points. So, um, and for those who are wondering, it was American Airlines. Um, mm. So, but it seems like right now there's not really a great option out there, at least consistently. So, um, yeah, the lady did say in their defense, um, they were still meeting their contractual obligation of, uh, and I did not know this. So I learned something new. I'll pass this along. The airlines are contractually only um, held to getting you to your destination within four hours of what you booked. So technically they were still fulfilling their side of the transaction. Hmm. So learned that lesson, but anyways, did not get to go, but did still um, join uh, their team and the folks from Kentucky via Zoom. So still got to hear the meeting and uh, chat a little bit. So all that to say, 
Texas Blockchain Council, they are killing it. They're doing a really great job. Um, was really impressed. I was not aware of their YouTube channel uh, until they mentioned it. They're working really hard on getting a lot of content out. So just uh, going to plug that. They uh, did a lot of interviews at Consensus and maybe also in Miami. So they monetized their YouTube channel, which is a pretty big deal. You have to get up to, I think, 1,000 subscribers and like 25,000 25, watch hours, I think. Um, so all that to say doing cool stuff and yeah they host the texas blockchain summit every year to november of this year and it's pretty much the um, policy uh blockchain event of the year it sounds like maybe it might be a, I don't, does consensus kind of does consensus um market themselves as a policy event at all or is it mostly just what's happening in the industry i have no idea I don't think yeah. I don't think it's a policy specific thing. Okay. So, anyways, if anybody's interested, um, check that out. But that was my first airline issue, and then yesterday, the reason why we're uh, why we're recording late is because we I still was we were supposed to get into eight, which we did in the morning, and I thought, okay, well, I'll I'll still be able to record about nine fifteen nine thirty, but it took our luggage over an hour to get to the little carousel thing so so anyways yeah that that was sad struggle struggle it was a struggle and then well and then yeah this morning was crazy so we found uh we found a slot in the afternoon so thank you kindle for being very very flexible well hey the price of bitcoin is up so you got that going for you yes yeah, that's uh let's start there. Honestly, that was uh, some good news for and Ethereum's up. So Ethereum's been ripping. My god. It has been. Yeah. So props to them as well. Uh, I don't know where this liquidity is coming from, but maybe you do. Maybe we can chat about it. I don't know. I mean, this uh are we going to end the week up? I'm trying to see right now. I'm not sure if we will. Last but... week we barely at least the stock market was no, I think, barely up. I think we are going to end up. I'm looking at it right now. Okay. Uh, yeah. What's going on in the markets? I don't know. It's been a been an interesting week from the crypto perspective. It seems that a lot of the for the, the word on the street is that a lot of the forced selling from all of the con- the credit contagion, uh, namely from the Three Arrows Capital Hedge Fund fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently all the forced selling is gone or finished, I should say. Um, so, you know, whenever you have like, sold their, their Bitcoin, you know, back in Q2, <clears throat> so that's over. Yeah. I'm sure that part of the wick down to 18,000 was fueled by Tesla selling. And yeah. it's, it's not that it's not that. The Tesla had a significant stake. I mean, I guess they kind of did. What was like nine hundred million? That's a reasonable amount in the in terms of the free float. Um, but what happens is these traders know. You can look on the blockchain if you know how to if you know where to look, and you can look in mar- in order books, um, like exchange order books. So the traders knew. The traders likely knew that Tesla sold whenever Tesla did sell. Of mm-hmm. course, the public didn't find out until they had to disclose it in their quarterly file filings. 
Um, right. But anyway, the point is, is that traders probably knew. And so they, they, you know, they, they basically, you front run the, the liquidation event and then couple that with all the, the forced selling from Celsius as well. Celsius was a big forced seller, especially mm-hmm. in, a, in Ethereum, apparently. Um, and a lot of that was in DeFi protocols, which is you have to sell, I mean, because they're over collateralized loans and that's the way the protocol works. It's not like, you know, in traditional finance, you're, there's no protocol that forces you to be a seller. You have to do it through the judicial system. Um, and that often takes a long time, but anyways, yeah. So, so for selling probably gone. And then, you know, since this, who knows what this is, this could be a little rally that we're going to drop back down. Typically, whenever you have like a for selling like that, you get, you get people in the derivatives market um, shorting, shorting the price action, meaning that they're ex- expecting it will go down. And then that trade becomes over, over position to that side. And so once the for selling stops, then you have a sort of short squeeze. And that's actually what we experienced over the past week at some point was just a little short squeeze to, to in the Bitcoin price action. So, so, yeah. but you never, so you never know if that's just going to be like a little short squeeze and then we're going to go back down or are we going to go back up? I'm sort of, I had a new vision today. I was on a walk and I don't know, it's just an idea. But I think a possible outcome here in all risk assets is we actually do see a slow and steady march up. And it's sort of like a continuous march up through the end of the year. And at some point in Q1 next year, we could see another liquidation event. Yeah. I don't know. Just a thought. Yeah. All thoughts. What do you think? I mean, I def I definitely think that everyone it like I was listening in on a um on a mid-year market update yesterday. And um and it was, you know, it was a bunch of financial advisors talking to their clients. And uh I kind of snuck in. I uh, just know one of the know one of the advisors and they sent me the link. So um yeah, I mean uh, you could tell that they were trying to talk their clients broadly off of the off of the ledge you know and um so i think and i've talked to several advisors of you know just normal people out there who are calling them and kind of freaking out and or at least saying hey what do we do recession's coming Mm. and um so like i think i think the vision that i was portraying is sort of similar is sort of consistent with that in that i think what we could see over the next two to three years is, is functionally sideways, mm-hmm. but you'll have like quarters of up and then quarters of down. Um, but we'll sort of, it'll sort of just be a volatility trap the whole way through. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they were pretty much trying to give three different and it was very dumbed down, but it was essentially, it could be really bad. They, uh, it was actually an interesting uh, analogy. I'd never heard. They kind of, gave a current forecast and then tried to uh give three possible um you know almost like 
tying everything to weather and uh, just to help clients understand. But yeah, it was like, yeah, it could be really bad for the next 12 to 18 months. And that's one end of the spectrum or it could you know, not be that bad. But if you know, if, if advisors are trying to calm people down, you know, that, that means broadly people are, are worried. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's tied to, you know, there's the technicals of a stock, right? How companies perform and all that. And then there's like the more emotional side of actual investors. Um, and if generally the emotional side is negative, um, you know, people can act irrationally, even if their time horizon's really, really far out. Um, they might just, they see that 19% on average uh, decline in their, in their account value. And they're like, I got to, I got to go back to cash. Cash feels safe right now, which that sounds like a, that sounds like a good bottom six signal to me though. Yeah, it could be. It definitely could be. It's, I think the hardest, and this was another point they brought up. The thing that is um, so unpredictable right now is the amount of geopolitical um, just uncertainty right Right. now. Right. Um, and obviously Russia and all that is that's been going on for several months at this point, And everyone's well aware uh, one that is, I think still on the horizon has a lot to do with China and especially how they react to, I don't know if you saw um, Nancy Pelosi is set to travel to Taiwan in mm-hmm. August. And mm-hmm. so, and um, you know, China came out and said, essentially, if you do that, we are going to, um, we're going to react and you're not going to like it pretty much. So we'll see where that goes. I think that that could even be a much larger fallout, um, than, than all the stuff we've seen with, with Russia. Yeah. My, uh, my take on China is that, and I am like totally naive. I'm just, just to be clear, but my take is China is not near as large of a threat as a lot of fear. Like I see it a lot in the left. The left for some reason seems to be really afraid of China. Um, but anyway, my point is, I, I think it's both true that they are not as big of a threat. And also I would not invest a dime of my money in China. It's crazy to me that I, I, I know people that are like, that are, I would consider intelligent investors and they're like, they have a large portion of their portfolio in things like Alibaba. And, Mm -hmm. and I think they really do it because Charlie Munger is basically up there saying that um, Alibaba is a great investment or whatever. You know what I see whenever I see Charlie Munger talking about Alibaba, what I see is the gambler's dilemma. I see a guy who is too deep in and he just has to keep, keep playing the game, you know? Yeah. But uh, yeah, who knows with China geopolitics is difficult to difficult to judge. Yeah. It would be, it would put the U S in a very difficult uh, position if they were to move on Taiwan and uh, do we, you know, do we step in? Also, what does that do for inflation if uh, all of a sudden, you know, we pull the same thing with sanctions that we pulled with Russia? And does that mean we stop buying semiconductors 
from now China, right? That would be uh, the area in Taiwan, right? And, you know, what does that do to, to vehicle prices and really everything, right? Because there's chips in so many things now. So, I don't know. Well, anyway, this, uh, I'll tell you what, I think that the biggest signpost over the past, I think the biggest signpost which led to a reversal in risk assets that we saw this week mm-hmm. happened last week or the week before. I think we mentioned it on the last pod, which was Yellen. Yellen made a statement to the Japanese that we would essentially um, buy their bonds. We would backstop their bonds. Are you familiar with this? Uh, I don't think I saw this actually. Did you read? Did you read the two latest Arthur Hayes piece pieces? No, but I heard. Um, oh, what's his name? Groman, Luke Groman, on um, on one of the podcasts talking about the yen and. But I did not hear specifically about Yellen saying that we would we would purchase. There was Is some... that to help them like keep continue on their yield cur- curve control? Yeah, exactly. We basically we start buying their debt. We start monetizing their debt. Hmm. Um, but that's, that's, uh, uh, dude, that's interesting. I listened to a podcast, uh, a Hidden Forces episode. Are you familiar with Hidden Forces with Dimitri no. Kofinas? It's a it's like a Sam harris type of podcast model where he okay. makes he makes most of the episodes like uh, the first half kind of free and then the second half is a is a paid tier subscription okay. I, it's it's one of the it's one of the podcasts that i am like the most obsessed with right now because his okay. his content this entire year has been amazing um and he just had an episode recently talking about um like the global monetary system and the specifically like the the plumbing, like the actual technicalities of how the infrastructure works. Yeah. And um, like, cause he talks about the Euro dollar, he talks about swap lines, he talks about repo markets. Um, and then there was one more thing, mm. but um, we got into the weeds. Yeah. It was super fascinating. Cause what, what, what I, what happens is that specifically with, with J- Japan, is we're going to open what are known as swap lines. And functionally what that means is the Federal Reserve is acting as the central bank of Japan. We're basically coming in and we're saying like, we'll come in and we'll extend our domain basically to Japan. Um, And so it's actually a, they talk about this in the episode. It's a little like tinfoil hatty. Like you get to be really careful because like you're really on the verge of conspiracy here, mm-hmm. but there is reason to believe that the federal reserve is making geopolitical decisions. And what's actually going on is they're making decisions based off of a lot of things that we don't see but are presented in things like the Russian invasion in Ukraine. Yeah. And what these swap lines act as is it's basically a way for us to, it's a way for us to get involved in with our allies. Right. So we can selectively, we will selectively choose. Like we're basically saying, Hey, if you choose our side, we'll backstop you, but you got to choose our side. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Dude, it's going to be really interesting. I don't know if you saw this, 
my one of <laughs> I had to take Ubers quite a bit in Florida for some reason. So I and some of them I had conversations, others I didn't. But one of them, this guy, he was telling me we were talking about geopolitics and it was fun. Um, he brought up the story that I had not heard yet that Putin actually traveled to Iran. Did you see this? No, it's like I didn't. one of the first no. times that uh, it was this past weekend. It was right after Biden had gotten back from Saudi Arabia hmm. and um, essentially went there just to, I always forget, is it Te- Tehran, I think, is the capital? Tehran, yeah. Tehran, yeah. In Iran. So he went there. But then, guess who also snuck in there? The president of Turkey. Erdogan. I did see, I did see the video of Erdogan making Putin wait. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that. It was a super... Look, if you're just trying to read body language, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's very subjective. So how can you prove anything? But I watched it and I was like, this is incredibly damning. Like, I think Putin looked extremely stressed out from this mm-hmm. video. What? Sorry, what happened was Erdogan and Putin were going to, and I'll let, sorry, I interrupted you, but you're fine. Um, Erdogan and Putin were gonna, going to do a photo op, right? And so they, yeah. basically the way it works is you have a bunch of flags in like in front of us like whatever and they have like two two chairs where they can sit and take photos or whatever yeah putin walked out first and then erdogan made him wait a minute while standing standing up there alone (laughs) while all of these reporters were taking pictures and 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 uh and you can find it on twitter and okay putin look it looks extremely distressed he looks very unwell in my opinion uh so anyway yeah dude the the uber drivers and again like this is just chatter (laughs) you can just be a fly on the wall in my uber rides this guy was like i think he has uh schizophrenia or or if nothing else he was saying he was saying he's heavily medicated based on how he looks yeah yeah Yeah. well that is that is like a i think somewhat accepted that they it's possible that putin has like um cancer or something and some sort of illness and that's why he looks because he definitely looks physically different quite a bit physically different than he did a few years ago yeah so i guess my point with all that is you know flashback like five years ago you had essentially a really i would say quite a unity in the west and then you had china and like north korea right but everyone else and like and anybody else like Iran and Russia, it was like, well, they're not even really big players, you know, so we don't even care if they don't agree with our values or not in our group or whatever. It just feels like that group, though, is great, is gaining strength. So China, Russia, Iran, I guess, Turkey now, India, um, and then, you know, take Taiwan, like they did Hong Kong, and no one in the West batted an eye, right? If that happened, if that were to happen, it just continually like is expanding and it's like, do we, do we reach a cyst or a, a scenario where essentially cut uh, countries are forced to pick sides? Right. And if you're Latvia, well, maybe it actually makes more sense for me to side with the group that I just named versus, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the European countries, just because we have, we have a, um, an Eastern border with Russia. Same with Finland. Like, you know what I'm saying? It could get really dicey. And then it's... Oh, super dicey. Then, the, yeah. uh, the consensus is right now that 
Europe is being used as a political football. Yeah. And it's not looking good for, for Europe. No. What, uh, so, so Yellen went over and I don't know what the headline was, but basically we're going to backstop Japan. The next step will be, we're going to backstop the European union. Um, and that's what those, that's what those Arthur Hayes articles were about. I recommend reading them. I actually only read the first one of it's a, it's a two part series. I only read the first one that is really good. Arthur Hayes just does such an amazing job writing. It's amazing. Yeah. I'll have to go listen or go uh, read those. I always have to stop myself. I'm such a, uh, an audio book podcast. It's I almost actually one time I listened to one of his articles using um, speechify or something. So anyways, hmm. we'll go check it out. But anyways, yeah, I mean, and I think that they're to get back to the Bitcoin run too. It's like, um, as governments continue to become more authoritarian um, and as the values of those countries, let's just say stray from Western, Western values. I just think that um, long-term, I think that's good for Bitcoin in the short run. Yeah. It's, there's so many things that are happening in the order book each and every day that it's, it's hard to know what is causing a bump like this, but we'll take it, you know? It's, uh, it's at least good for short-term morale. And there's a lot of people out there who care about the price action on a day, on a day-to-day. So it's, it's weird how it affects like the public consciousness, you know, like <laughs> the, the current can, you know, the way yeah. people feel. 22,000 in uh, what year was it that it reached 20, you know, or just take 20,000. I think what that was 2016, right? 20, 2017. 2017. Versus how people feel about 20,000 now. Um, it's very, it's all very interesting. But um, yeah, we'll see. There haven't been any big like Bitcoin stories uh, tied to all the unrest. You know, the stuff with Sri Lanka, I didn't, I didn't really see anything happening with Bitcoin. For a little bit there, you were hearing about Bitcoin being at least some type of alternative in a lot of these different scenarios where there's unrest and stuff, but. Oh, we should talk about, quiet. we should talk about you and me had a, a back and forth over a text message like a week ago about, oh, yes. what was it about? It was about like stable coins versus Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. You were being a bear. <laughs> I wasn't being a bear. <laughs> I was just, I, I think I, I made the claim that, um, see, I used to be of the opinion that that um, the whole El Salvador sovereign Bitcoin adoption was not necessarily a good thing. Like I was always skeptical. I was like, I don't know if that's like a great thing for Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still feel that way to a degree because if El Salvador, if it fails in El Salvador, then it'd be, that's bad for Bitcoin because who, you know, who's going to be the next brave soul to be like, well, it failed there, but it'll succeed here. Right. Yeah. Um, and by the way, El Salvador sovereign debt is in distressed levels right now. It's like one of the worst in the world. So I don't know if it's teetering on the edge, but it's definitely not looking great. Anyway, back to my point. Um, yeah, I think I talked about how like Bitcoin 
the the volatility in Bitcoin makes it expensive to to hold. And if you are a citizen of the world that lives in poverty, mm-hmm. you can't you can't bear that expense. It's too expensive for you. You know the concept of saving in the impoverished parts of the world just basically doesn't even exist, right? I mean, it's not like they're like, let me stack away a little cash and um, plan for a better future. I don't even know if that's something that I, I doubt, I'm doubtful that that even exists in, in these areas of the world. It's basically mm-hmm. like, cause you're just like living, you can think about it, you know, uh, in us, us privileged Westerners can think about it as if you're living from paycheck to paycheck. Right. Yeah. Um, so Anyway, my point was the volatility makes it too expensive. And then like, well, you know, what's actually probably best for, for those users or those people are stable coins mm-hmm. um, because you get the stability. You don't have the, the cost of the volatility. Um, and then I was like, well, so as a citizen, like if I'm in El Salvador, let's say, probably what I want is USDC and then I want my sovereign to, to buy BTC. Cause I want, cause they are positioned to be able to withstand volatility, Yeah, but I am not. So I still want the upward exposure of if Bitcoin becomes successful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't reason the only way that I can do that is for it to be socialized amongst me and my fellow citizens. Yeah. I mean, I think that Bitcoin in a way going to some of, you know, Safedine's points, it is supposed to transform you into instead of this, you know, having a high time time preference where you spend every dollar you make, a lot of people spend more dollars than they make each and every month and actually flip that on its head and start to save and how do you save? You increase your income, you decrease your expenses. So I think just the the very nature of Bitcoin and how it is designed actually helps people get to a place where, yes, there are the vast, vast majority of people have no savings and sadly will maybe never accumulate any savings. And um, But changing your mindset to how do I actually create margin every month where at the end of the month, there is some stuff left over for me to put away for first for a rainy day, which would, in a, and I would keep that in a stable coin type of thing, you know, at least six months to two years, somewhere in that range, depending on how conservative you are. And then, but anything beyond that, once we're talking about savers, like people who have excess and they can withstand that volatility, Right then it, it you've never had the opportunity to compete with sovereigns in the in you know in terms of like wealth creation right right in terms of you've like just take venture just take I, venture stuff for for example yeah, I, there's I only a small point. pool of people who are who have access to those investments you have access to the same to this asset bitcoin that sovereigns have access and some of them are trying to take advantage and others are ignoring. So I get what you're saying. And yes, for the vast majority of people, stable coins will be a, a huge um, increase in their, uh, 
in their quality of life, right? But I think I'll always fight for people should save money, should save their energy up for a rainy day and also just for wealth creation. And then it's just a question of where do you put that saved energy? Do you put it in equities? Do you put it in real estate? Do you put it in Bitcoin? Do you put it in bonds? It, then it's just a, that's, that's like, I think that's a separate argument than what do the poorest among us, what do they transact in day to day? Yeah, I do think that's a positive effect of Bitcoin and that it kind of creates, it creates this scenario where it's sort of, um, it can incentivize people to, to learn how to become savers. But I do think that that's pretty marginal in the grand scheme of things. I think yeah. it's a positive, I think it's a positive ex- externality and it's a good thing. It's there. But I wouldn't bet on it as being a force for, for like the growth of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, I used, you know, for the past two years, my thesis has been that the dollar will actually increase in value, and that's exactly what has happened. You know, most people, especially even in the, in the Bitcoin space and gold bugs and whatever, think that the value of the dollar is going down. Um, and it depends on what you compare it to, but if you compare it to other currencies, which is the one for one comparison, mm-hmm. then my opinion has been that the dollar would go up and the sort of contrarian opinion of me as a Bitcoiner is that I actually think that Bitcoin has the, has an asymmetric possibility of going up along with the dollar, which is what surprises people. Because you mm-hmm. would think you would think that if the dollar is going up, then that means Bitcoin's going down. But what can what could happen? And I don't know if this. I think this actually may happen eventually. But I do think it. I'm starting to think that it may be actually ten years out. Well, before this happens, what I'm about to say. And um, you see, as the dollar goes up, it basically forces sovereign defaults across a number of sovereigns mm. because the dollar is the strongest currency. A lot of, a lot of sovereigns, especially in the emerging markets will um, denominate their, their debt or their, yeah, their debt, their credit in dollars. So if their currency is decreasing relative to dollars, then it's becoming more expensive for them to pay back their debts um and it's a vicious cycle then they can print money which then further devalues their currency it's a vicious cycle which leads to hyperinflation among emerging markets and the contrarian opinion is that it's those people it's the people in emerging markets and those sovereigns specifically which will say at that point hmm okay so what kind of game are we playing here because Clearly, clearly the U.S. dollar is the apex predator here, and we don't stand a chance in in uh, in battling it. And back to our geopolitical tinfoil hat discussions, I would say that a lot of the the geopolitical actions right now are an attack on the dollar. Um, and it's a it's it's um it's people in what have traditionally been known as the global south, uh, sort of revolting against the global north. Um, 
so so if you are a sovereign in one of these countries and you're like hold on a second like are we just going to restart this game and replay the whole thing out again like we're going to our currency is going to, to hyperinflate we'll default then we'll create a new currency or maybe we could just use the dollar but if we use the dollar then we're exposed to you know us right basically the us regulators become king of the world and do we want that not really and so then what's you know option door number 3 is a neutral reserve currency which traditionally has been gold that's actually what this cycle usually plays out with is gold comes back into play and then eventually you go back off the gold standard and then you create a currency and it hyperinflates and you restart but it could be that this time they say you know what actually we live in a digital world now mm-hmm. and this whole gold thing clearly hasn't really worked out so gold maybe is we should... down by the way gold is down year to date almost Dude, four four percent three point eight how sad how sad for, for the a, gold bugs and then whole year it's down over four percent four point one three that is insane, dude. It is a sad, sad story for the gold bugs. They want to wanna... give us shit about Bitcoin not being an inflation hedge. <laughs> oh my gosh, bro. I do want to say, I do want to say, I think that there is still a reasonable chance that gold will have a leg up in the next year. Gold is the way, it, the way it actually works in us, but this works for Bitcoin too, is that these things are inflation hedges, but they're leading indicators. And so yeah. by the time that the CPI number hits, that's you've already experienced the inflation. Yeah. Um, so, but anyway, so yeah, that's been the thesis. That's the contrarian thesis for, for the growth of Bitcoin as a neutral reserve currency is that the dollar will go up in value, which will cause chaos among basically everybody who's not under the purview of the dollar, mm-hmm. at which point they'll have to make a decision. Do we want to create a new currency? Do we want to, go to a gold standard, or maybe we go to a Bitcoin standard. That's functionally what El Salvador has done, right? Because El Salvador actually was dollarized for the past decade or two. And um, they're like, well, like, we're not really getting much out of that. So we might as well try this Bitcoin thing, right? Right. I mean, yeah, you just take Romeo down in El Salvador, you know, a prior episode. By the way, we're on episode number 20. Big, big time for us. you know, Romeo was like, I have a wallet that has U.S. dollar, digital U.S. dollar, and then have I have a wallet that have that has Bitcoin in it, and I don't, I get paid in Bitcoin, and then I convert most of it to U.S. dollar, and then that's what I use day to day, um, and then from the you know you can get into the fees or whatever, but like, I think that that is definitely a scenario that could work out where they're just used in tandem almost like a checking and a savings account, as we've heard others um, allude to. The major thing I can't wrap my head around is will commodities be, will commodities be used as a weapon to a degree that like the United States ends up not having as much power? And then does the U, I don't know if you've seen the, the reports coming out in the past week, about the U.S. military having an extremely difficult time uh, recruiting, hitting their recruiting goals. Um, you know, that's not a huge deal right now, but go out 10, 15, 20 years, that will be a large issue as other nations that are not about the United States continue to grow their militaries. 
So that's the yeah, main no, thing. That's... That it's like the U.S. dollar is strong because we are the global superpower. Like we will hurt you if you don't comply, right? Even though we've always done it in like a quasi nice way or whatever. And maybe others would say it's not been nice, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's the less debate, that we're yeah. perceived um, as the actual global superpower, the more that that power is actually spread more evenly across Europe and Asia. Um, yeah. It, so it becomes really interesting when there's not really like one uh, global policeman kind of thing or global kind of big brother everyone looks to like the United States has been for a hundred years or whatever now. Yeah. The unipolar power. Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, that's, that's what Luke Groman talks a lot about. And, you know, I think functionally that's exactly what's going on right now is that you have on one side of the, of the, of the, of the, what do you want to call it? Of the battle. You have people who say commodities are money. And then on the other side of the battle, you have people who are saying uh, debt, debt is money. Um, basically, you have like, you're right, it's like US is on the latter yeah. and Russia is on the former. Yeah. So it's a great question. It's, uh, it's exactly what's going on right now. I mean, my opinion is that the US has an insane amount of potential in uh in the world of commodities we're we're wildly naturally gifted in the world of commodities um it's totally by luck i mean i think that's that's truly the way the world has worked mm -hmm. so so you know if uh if you want to if i mean if the you know hmm uh, that game can be played, but ultimately the U.S. will still win because the U.S. still has sufficient commodities to to play that game. Now, what what Luke says, and I think this is totally right. The thing that people in financial markets don't understand, or at least they just like they understand it, but they're just sort of in they're oblivious to it, is that price is determined on the margin, mm -hmm. and you only need to move that margin just a little bit for the price to move by a lot. By the way, that's why basically crypto and Bitcoin are so volatile is because the, the markets, the way the markets work in, in the crypto world is uh, there is zero regulation. So just a little bit of move in the margin can, can have a drastic impact to the price. So anyway, the point is, is that uh, it can be extremely volatile and extremely painful, even though the United States has sufficient commodity ca capacity to, to produce commodities. Um, you know, especially if you have things like the ESG movement, which is basically shooting ourselves in the face uh, <laughs> for, no times. for no reason, really. Uh, at least not like a qualified one. You know, it's a matter of priorities. You know, it's like yes, it's always a hierarchy of priority and of what we value. Totally. And, uh, yeah, we seem to think that we can um, pretty much punish ourselves in the short term and in hope of this utopia that will come maybe in a hundred years. Um, you know, I've crazy. been thinking. I've been thinking about this 
Hmm. All right. <laughs> this is this is just you know, strap in for this. Uh, Prepare to be demonetized. <laughs> I really, I really am of the opinion that the more I learn about the world, the more I realize how privileged Westerners are. Mm. And by the way, I work in a company at a company that is globally distributed, so I have uh, increasingly increasing levels of exposure to non-Western privilege. And um, the thing about privilege is that it is there is there are positives and there are negatives to it. You see, the the negative is that you you don't have exposure to really hard times, and when hard times come, they are very dramatic to your to your way of life. Um, and you think you think you know what a hard life is, but you really don't. And once you figure out what a hard life is, it's extreme. It can be lethal, right? Yeah. The positive of, of, of being privileged is that, um, having, having an increased level of comfort allows a person to explore, um, alternative perspectives. And ultimately, if you want to innovate the human experience you have to be able to explore many different perspectives yeah um, that's why like if you're problem solving you do want you do want a room full of people with different perspectives um, that's one of the most effective ways to problem solve um so you have the time and like are well fed and that's what know, yeah that's not, my point yeah. like you have to that's why that's like the, that's the benefit. That's the positive of having privilege is that you have the potential to, to innovate in new, like you, you have the potential to apply human ingenuity in ways that people who aren't privileged don't have. And, and like that can be beneficial for everybody um, because like you're, you're, you know, you're, you're doing it for, if your morals are correct, you can like give it away. Right. Um, so anyway, yeah, I mean, just to show, to make your point ever more clear, article out of NBC News, June 27th this year, the pool of those eligible to join the military continues to shrink with more young men and women than ever disqualified for obesity, drug use, or criminal records. Last month, Army Chief of Staff General James McConville testified before Congress that only 23% of Americans aged 17 to 24 are qualified to serve without a waiver to join down from 29% in recent years. That is insane. It's not good. We have a, I mean, we have a demographics problem though, but the thing is whenever you hear that, the, the, rea happy. <laughs> the, rea the reality is that as bad as it is here, demographically like we still have the best demographics uh so you think no i would i would disagree with that i feel like in china and in russia the perception is a even just from a physical body standpoint i mean this is true of all of europe too people are more fit people are if they really needed to survive, they could for much longer than the average American. The average um, American, if they did not have like 
their 2500 or i don't you know i don't want to get too disrespectful but you know what i mean (laughs) there we'll just say that diets and i hear what you're saying activity levels are are much different here than versus some of our adversaries and how their young people behave I kind of, I kind of reject that. I mean, I, I understand it and I know that people all around the world want to pretend like Americans are a bunch of fat McDonald's loving hillbillies, <laughs> but, um, and I'm not saying that we aren't like, perhaps there's a, a, a bad trend going on, but I do still think that, um, Americans, also, I'll say, like, I, I don't know. I think that Americans are, are still healthy enough to be, to be competitive on the world stage. You know, I'll say my, <laughs> oh man, this is going to be divisive. I'm going to say it though. I do think that the, the American South is where a lot of that, those issues arise. Um, like if you take a look at a state like Mississippi, they lead yeah. They lead virtually every statistic in things and, and, you know, poor quality of life, things like obesity, heart failure, uh, education, these things. So, and, uh, and we kind of actually live in the South. Like, mm-hmm. I don't like to admit it. I, I actually think I'm more of a Midwestern person, but, <laughs> but I do think that Louisville is actually a Southern city. It's right on the line, by the way, which is, I think it's interesting. Right. I think it's interesting being on the border like that it's, uh, causes for some dynamism. Um, but uh, so I think that like, you know, if you're, if you look around you, maybe it's true, but if you like zoom out some, maybe it's, maybe it's not as true as you think it is. I'm trying to find China on this list. I'm sure. I just, I'm, I'm looking at like, uh, it looks like it's, uh, it's pretty reliable, but like, U.S. is number 12, 36% of the population, of the adult population that's obese. I mean, who's coming up with these numbers, though? Is it Klaus Schwab? Like, I don't, I don't, I really don't care about these global numbers. Like, show me the markets and then I'll show you the winner. But you, but your point earlier was essentially a privileged society gets slow and dumb and no, more, no, no, more no. easily, that more wasn't my easily, point. more easily than a society that has to actually survive. Day. No, no, no. That's not you my point. Think? That's okay. not my point. In fact, I would say the a privileged society has the capacity to, to actually outcompete an unprivileged society because you have that, that buffer space. My point was that when, a, what ha- the problem with a privileged society is that in the event that you do lose, in the event that you do find yourself in a hard way of life, it can be extremely lethal. So you have like, you can think about it as increased volatility, right? So, yeah. um, so that, yeah, that was my point. Okay. Well, fully 30% less for China, 6.2% of their population obese. Yeah, I don't, I just don't, <laughs> I don't put any credence to those numbers. Okay. That's all good. I just, um, I, I do, but you do see the military piece, that trend, even if we're just talking about trends, because the, totally totally the next paragraph says 
uh, an internal uh, Defense Department survey found that only 9% of those young Americans eligible to serve in the military had any inclination to do so, the lowest number since 2007. So that, I mean, that might even be <laughs> more troublesome. The ones that are even able to, only one in 10 of them raised their hand and said, yeah, I would, I would uh, serve my country. So yeah, if I totally... I'm China or Russia and I'm looking and I'm reading this, you know, the news that's available to everyone, I'm like, wow, we, uh, we stack up well against. Well, I don't know about that though. Cause it's all I relative. Mean, that's kind of, well, that's kind of, I would say that probably plays into Ray Dalio's narrative of, you know, the whole, the cycle of nation states that are on on a rise and the ones yeah, that are on a I understand that. And then like Balaji has this whole like thing, like we shouldn't call them developed countries or developing countries. We should call them ascending countries and descending countries. I reject all of that. I really do. I think that, I think that the United States has the fortune to be ahead in the race. And this is a race where once you are in the lead, it's very difficult to find yourself no longer in the lead. Um, and, uh, now you can, we can be trending in the wrong direction for short periods of time, but, um, ultimately look, if there were an incentive for those military numbers to increase, the incentive would, could easily be created by the United States leadership. All you gotta do is just, you know, you want to earn $200,000 a year, you got to join the military. You'll find a they're, lot they're, of, suddenly you'll find a lot it. of people. Dude, they're, they're, they're saying that they'll pay you $50,000 to come join the military. So that's just like a bonus. Yeah. Yeah. So there you they're go. Still, <laughs> they're still having trouble. Well, you, we don't know. You, it was like a, you know, some conversation I think that we had in, um, when we were down in Naples last. You know, if you remember, we were driving around in Port Royal, very, very uh, nice neighborhood. I mean, that's like one of the best. That's like the best in the country almost. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and we were looking around and almost talking about the cycles of generations. Right. There was somebody or some couple or whatever that worked really hard or was extremely um, just extremely good at whatever they did in order to achieve that amount of status and wealth and then there's normally another the second generation does normally a pretty good job of of keeping that and then the, the next generation so the children whether it's their grandparents who built that legacy they're far removed they don't have any any understanding of how it got to be where they are right mm -hmm. and they squander it and i feel like we're kind of I feel like we're kind of in that uh, scenario think, where we don't appreciate what was set in front of us. I think Americans. we're, I think we're trending in that direction, but I don't think we're anywhere close to it. Okay. Um, that's so a what, tangent, but that's what was the, no, this is an interesting conversation. What was, what's the, like the fourth turning thing? It's like um, hard time leads to lead to strong men. Strong men lead to good times. Good times lead to weak men. Weak men lead to hard times, right? So, yeah, I'm looking it up just to make sure. It's yeah, a, it's 
it's a cycle. And I think that you could come to a consensus that the strong men, which led to good times, were was the World War II generation, mm-hmm. right? I'm talking with respect to the United States, yeah. specifically. And so then, okay, so then let's continue that train of thought. So it's, it's hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times. Yeah. Okay. So here's my theory. My theory is hard times was the Great Depression, which inevitably led, inevitably led to World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, that created the hard men, which were... Um, the greatest generation. The greatest generation. They created the baby boomers. So those, so the hard times, oh no, sorry, the strong men created the good times. The baby boomers got to live through the good times. And then the next generation is Gen X. Good times lead to weak men. My opinion is that Gen X is the weak men. And Gen X led is leading is leading us to see Gen X is actually coming into power right now. That's that's where I'm, that's where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gen X leads is the weak men. They lead to the hard times, and then you have us, the millennials, which have to deal with the hard times, but come out the strong men, right? And then we will create the uh, the good times. There you go, boomers. Yeah, thanks, boomers. We are the heroes. Yeah, us millennials. No, I can see that for sure. Because I mean, it, yeah, there have been a lot of bad decisions made over and over again for all the wrong reasons. So, like yeah, part, we'll of it, part of it, part of it is like, see, we, you and I, we sort of, we sort of grew up in this world of like internet. Like, I was actually, I can remember my childhood pre internet, by the way, lovely time. My God, <laughs> wish I could go back. <laughs> <laughs> you all, you kind of had it a couple weeks ago when twitter went down for like 30 minutes <laughs> yeah. oh man we used to go outside and play so much more it was great uh anyway um i don't think you know all of our leaders right now are old as dirt like if you look at if you look at like nancy pelosi like i'm like i'm sorry this is extremely critical but that person is just not physically fit to to do the job let alone the president of the united states <laughs> but anyway yeah. my point is is like I agree you know, if, you. You, if you tell them if you try to even explain to them even to this date like two decades in what even the concept of like a digital network is they're like oh what <laughs> you know it's <laughs> like and this is an extremely powerful piece of technology that's changing everything so yeah powerful technology and so-called powerful people and they yeah they can't see it because the, yeah they didn't grow up with digital networks they grew up with like i don't know they grew up they in a like world wash, where you could just washer and dryer was invented and they were like holy shit this is amazing dude they grew up in a world where you could just bullshit anybody and totally get away with it like <laughs> okay that was the world they grew you can't do that today lehman brothers <laughs> yeah 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 you can't do that today like, i don't know dude Na- nancy pelosi is still doing it did you see that uh <laughs> I mean, look we've gone down the rabbit hole enough we can we can continue on yeah. dude she, did i send you did you see on liquidity uh he posted it yesterday um it was pretty much nancy was up taking like some q a 
and someone asked if uh, her husband, Paul, had ever made any uh, stock picks based on information she knew. And literally, she's, she like laughed it off and said no, and then immediately ended the press conference. <laughs> it was so funny. Dude, I, I saw that. <laughs> I was disgusted. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and then also, did you see how they compared it to the, the Dave Chappelle skit? Uh, no, I, I missed that. Was that oh. on liquidity or somewhere else? I don't know who, who, who shared it, but there was a Dave Chappelle skit from the Chappelle show that was almost the exact same thing. It was hilarious. Um, Dude, that, that shit is criminal. I don't care what side of the aisle. And, it, you know, it oh, happened it's... also on the Republican side. Uh, I think there was a senator in North Carolina. So we're being, is, we're being absolutely... balanced here. These the people COVID should stuff. be the people. You sh- this is a jailable offense. They should yeah. all be in jail. It's insider uh, trading. <laughs> what the? What kind of world are we living in now, dude? That if somebody just ran on that alone, if they ran on the fact that they're less than fifty years old, and that they will jail uh, every congressperson who has blatantly uh, participated in insider trading, they would get elected overnight. It would not even be an issue. Dude, did, did you hear the story uh, a few months? I think it was like a few months back where Nancy Pelosi's husband like got a DUI or something. Yeah. 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 Oh, my gosh. Bank I don't know. Pay for an Uber. Come I on. I don't know. I don't know. It's not anything. liquid enough. <laughs> not liquid enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I don't know anything about Nancy Pelosi and her husband, but I just have this image in my mind of this guy who like, I don't know anything about him, but that guy is living the dream because he can do anything he wants. He like there, he can't, he can, I mean, my God, somebody, somebody needs to put an end to all this madness. Okay. Yeah. It's like that. You saw that meme I sent you on Twitter uh, over DMs. That was like, Oh, let me pull it up. It's too good. Now that we're in politics mode, the price good men pay for indifference to public affairs is to be ruled by evil men. Mm. I literally keep coming back to that. And, and again, this is not a partisan thing. I think that we are, we have no good options on any side at this point. When I, when I take a look at all, all the potential options for 24 and what's coming up in the midterm. So it is uh, it's tough. Also, <laughs> a picture of Elon with his shirt off. I just saw that. Yeah. Did you see that with the, uh, in the Bill Gates the so funny oh my gosh i'm never deleting this app oh my gosh dude dude uh bezos looked good bezos is killing it man bezos bezos i got mad respect for bezos these days yeah dude elon oh oh really quick okay that's a good segue actually me seeing elon gosh he's so white that is crazy um (laughs) <laughs> um, I didn't you didn't know a person could be that white. No. <laughs> also, he lives in like southern Texas. So like, what does he never go outside? Dude, that is somebody who needs to turn off the internet and go outside everyone's <laughs> why. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, oh, breaking news actually. So Elon sold his Bitcoin. We mentioned that a little bit earlier, but the breaking news is that Kindle is considering uh, retaliating by selling his Tesla. You know, you know, if Elon wants to exit the game, I can exit the game too. Mm. <laughs> Bro, that you could actually probably flip that for a lot of money. 
just go no. find somebody who's been on a wait list to get a Tesla for like over a year and just say, I'll sell you mine today. Dude, totally. I think the Tesla is an incredible value. In fact, based off of what I understand about the future of electric vehicles, my particular model, uh, they probably won't make them like that into the future. So uh, it's actually a great value. The reason why I would sell it actually is because I'm just moving some financial things around. But uh, but uh, if I don't know, it'd be difficult to sell. It's a great car. Like, I'm definitely it's... not selling my Bitcoin, but I'll sell my Tesla. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> Bitcoin is, is in... You can take the Bitcoin out of my cold, dead hands, okay? Mm, I love that. No matter how bearish you you so, sound sometimes, or at it's least right. like contrarian Kindle comes out just to make a fun argument. I can always <laughs> look at I can always look at your balance sheet and know where you still stand. That's right. You know, I'll show you where I'll show you where my money is. I love it. That was a fun one. That was a fun one for number twenty. Did you have any other, any other things that that no. you uh, wanted no, that to chat great. about? We could we could talk about the Coinbase Insider trading, but it sounds boring, so I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, the TLDR is that I feel like everyone knew that that was happening, and it's yeah. the headline finally hit. So I just love how Kobe. Did you see the Kobe? Kobe was like cited in it. Oh no. Do you follow Kobe on Twitter? Yeah, I do follow him. Dude, Kobe is one of my favorite follows. He is so funny. <laughs> him and him and Trung. I was anytime, about to say Trung is probably my favorite. Yeah, anytime <laughs> I see the, like them populate on my timeline, I'm like, uh oh, here we go. It'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> was it? Was he like involved somehow, or did or did they just mention something he tweeted? Kobe. Kobe had found an address, like a Ethereum address or something that basically front ran a bunch of coinbase listings and i don't know if i don't know if kobe was the one who found it or if it was somebody found it and then gave it to kobe but then he tweeted it out he was like he was like here's blatant evidence of somebody insider trading from the coinbase listing and that was like you know i don't know three or four months ago or something wow and and, and the indictment uh, basically referenced that tweet. <laughs> they did. They actually didn't use Kobe's name. They were like uh, uh, a, a relevant whistleblower a, number one. <laughs> I forget what they they called him like a Twitter influencer or something. It's funny. Okay. Who, who did it? Like Kobe's who? Uh... Apparently, the guy tried to skip town too. Like he tried to he tried to leave and he got stopped at the airport. <laughs> wow. Dude, imagine just like sitting at the sitting at your gate and all of a sudden, like guys getting tackled and arrested and everyone's like, oh, what's going on? It's like, oh, yeah, that guy was front running cryptocurrency. Like, <laughs> everyone's like, like, what world do we live in? We're like, wow, that's crazy. That sucks for him. But was it like a FBI investigation or something? No, no, I think it's just SEC traditional. Okay. The big thing is like the the thing that the crypto community is or the crypto industry is all up in arms about is I think what they call regulation by enforcement or something. Because mm. like they listed they listed nine of the of the cryptocurrencies or tokens or whatever and called them security, dubbed them securities. And so now, you know, like the industry is like all up in arms, like, oh, you can't, those aren't securities, you can't call those securities, blah blah. blah. We all know they're securities, okay? By yeah. the way, Jason Calacanis was on 
the Odd Lots podcast this week. I know? saw that. It was, was a great. I tried to download that before my plane took off, and I couldn't get it. It is a great episode. Okay. He he I'll dropped he dropped some hammers, and he said he basically said the same thing. He's like, "These are very clearly securities," and I've been saying it for a long time. It was funny. He that episode dropped like the morning of, right before <laughs> the indictment. Wow, they knew. Isn't that Axios or is what what company puts out that pod? Uh, Bloomberg. Bloomberg. Okay. I'll have to give it a listen. Well, yeah, here's a CNBC article that's pushing back, like Coinbase is pushing back, says, yeah, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, none of their tokens, it lists our securities. It's like, obviously they are. Wow. Well, again, I think we say it all the time, but there's literally so much news going on right now. And a lot of it, you know, crypto related each week. It's just, uh, we just picked a, a fun time, I think to uh to start the pod so indeed we did indeed and that was like february right right february when we had our first episode no we started in march march okay i I think it was march yeah we almost missed an episode but we didn't i think we've gone like i don't think we've missed a week and if we did oh we missed the one week because of uh because of a malfunction and i don't think we've if we've missed one other week we've doubled up another i think but uh we missed the uh the conference week oh yeah that was a good excuse but obviously we were still we were together shooting the shit doing it in, in real life right all y'all weren't with us yeah those are uh off the record takes. oh also i mean i i i have this feeling you're not going to go to bitcoin miami next year but i booked my airbnb this past week so oh did you I, well i have my ticket already so i'm planning on going Oh, nice. Okay. Well, there you go. I'm bringing the baby. Oh, man. That'll be awesome. Yeah. Literally, our baby will be, baby girl will be uh, like four, four or five months old because they push it back to May and uh, we'll be at the Bitcoin conference. You got to, so. yeah, you'll, you got an orange pillar early. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so. Oh, by the way, actually, do you know for sure it's in Miami? Did they? Did yeah, they, can... they did. They announced that. Okay. We were actually in Miami on Saturday. I went over there to get my global entry thing. And long story, but Miami airport was the move for that. And so we were there and I was like, let's just go ahead and get our Airbnb. So, cause I, I convinced Raven, Raven's going to come to Bitcoin Miami. So nice. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm excited. With the baby. So. You'll have the baby like in one of those like <laughs> backpack things. Yeah. So if anybody sees any Bitcoin related like infant uh, <laughs> gear, send me the link. So, yeah, <laughs> that's a great. I'm, I'm, that's a, I can get uh, that'll be my like my gift to the baby. I'll, I'll buy her some some Bitcoin gear. I love that. Very cool. All right. Well, I'm going to clock out. All maybe right. Hang out, maybe go on a walk or something. Great episode. For maybe sure. We'll, maybe we'll do Friday evenings for more loopy more often. <laughs> this was definitely a different cadence and I loved it. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Y'all have a great weekend. We will talk to y'all soon.